This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hey everybody, it's good old JR Jim Ross, the voice of AEW Wrestling. Yo, this is Flip Gordon. CBB Chris Van Vliet. This is Liam O'Rourke, author of Crazy Like a Fox. TCO, the French Canadian Frankenstein. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah! I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah! Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it! It's the best thing going today. Top Rope Nation. What's up, guys? It's Ryan, and I've got a special episode planned for you this week. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you may have heard me reference a show that Kyle and myself did way back when we started this podcast, back in 2016. In fact, it was episode 13. We did a retrospective on the first three WWF Survivor Series events. But not only did that show feature full reviews of the first three events, but we also did a deep dive on the history of the show itself, how the WWF came up with the idea for the Survivor Series, and why they came up with the idea. It has to do with the rivalry with Jim Crockett Promotions. It's a great piece of wrestling history. If you're a longtime fan, you're definitely going to like it. If you're a newer fan, you probably don't know the story, and it's well worth the listen. So I've clipped the episode to just the portion where we talk about the origin story of the Survivor Series. Uh, If you want to hear the full show, it's over two hours long. And like I said, we do review the first three Survivor Series events, 87, 88, and 89. Just search the archive wherever you're getting your podcasts. Go back to episode 13 from November of 2016. Obviously, we have the WWE Survivor Series 2020 this Sunday night. And we will be doing a special live post show immediately after Survivor Series goes off the air. We will be live over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Top Rope Nation. If you want to join us, make sure to go over there right now. I already have the live page up. Bookmark it. Subscribe to the channel while you're there and join us. Uh, If you don't want to stay up late on Sunday night, that's all right. Check your podcast feeds Monday morning. The podcast version of the show will be there waiting for you. So with that said, let's go back in time to the early days of this podcast, November 2016. It's myself, it's Kyle. We're talking the origin story of the WWF Survivor Series. 
You're gonna love this. understand how this show came about uh, originally without understanding some of the background on how um, Vince McMahon's WWF throughout the 80s kind of grew into competition with Jim Crockett and uh, Ted Turner himself actually so this kind of the interesting interesting thing about the Survivor Series is that it set the stage for the wrestling wars of the 1990s which many of our listeners probably vividly remember and uh, Kyle, when you were a kid, were you more of a like a Crockett Promotions fan or uh, a McMahon fan? No, I was WWF almost exclusively. I don't think I started watching WCW until it was WCW. You know, Vince would probably love to hear this, but again, like it was kind of my time was kind of limited because my parents hated wrestling, so I had to um, get it in where I could. I always watched all the Saturday morning syndication stuff and the Sunday morning syndication challenge was sunday here and superstars was saturday and i don't think i started watching wcw regularly till like 1991 which in retrospect is a really odd time to start watching that promotion because it was kind of horrible at the time but um right as flair was leaving yeah basically it was right before (laughs) like right around super brawl uh which was yeah right when he was leaving but um no I i was definitely as a kid a wwf kid uh and vince mcmahon would love to hear this i always thought that the product just looked cleaner, which I'm kind of ashamed to admit now publicly on a podcast. But when when I was a nine-year-old kid, I would just look at the two products and I would see the glitz and the glam of WWF. And I just preferred that more at the time. That's true. It was a much more slick produced show. Um, some of it, too. I was definitely a WWF kid first uh, growing up. And some of that, both of us kind of grew up in the northern United States, where uh, Crockett traditionally, I mean, they built a fan base in the north. They ran Chicago a lot, for example. But um, up here, I mean, as I grew up, way more of my friends were into the WWF. And uh, some of that's also due to age. I mean, I was a kid in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, we were just captivated by the larger-than-life characters. We weren't really into the whole, you know, watching for an athletic match. Uh, if I was a college-age kid in the 1980s, I think I probably would have far preferred the Crockett promotions on TBS. But, uh, yeah, they were they were having a lot better matches in, uh, in the uh, NWA and the WCW than they were in yeah. WWF at the time. Now, you're how many years older than, or younger than me, I should say? Uh, I'm 32. So okay, I was born so in 84. Okay, I was born in 80. So, yeah, that, that's even more against it. Like, I came up, like, almost at the perfect time to be like a wwf fan where i started watching i was like six years old and um you, you know at the t- wwf was just all over tv and that's what the kids in my school watched too like i didn't really hear a lot about the nwa at the time i knew rick flair i knew some of the big stars once sting started getting big once luger started getting big i was aware of it you know i'd read the after mags when my mom would take me to the grocery store but um as far as following storylines, I was far more into the WWF at this time as well. Yeah, my my earliest memories of pro wrestling are right around like 88, 89. So kind of on the verge of what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Um, and so a lot of what I've, I remember is, you know, going back and watching it, doing some research on my own, reading up on the behind the scenes stories of the time. Um, 
But yeah, I guess, you know, to, to start out here, we're going to talk about the uh, 1980s Survivor Series shows today. So we're going 87 to 89. So to get us to that 1987 point, Kyle, let's just talk a little bit about Jim Crockett, Vince McMahon, and what went on with uh, TBS and Vince McMahon trying to uh, purchase time on the network. If I could just jump in real yeah. quick here. It's interesting with the history of Survivor Series, and once we get into the individual shows, I'll probably spotlight this a lot more, but the two most famous Survivor Series are famous for basically behind-the-scenes reasons. There is no WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 17 equivalent with the Survivor Series. The two most famous ones, which I, I would argue are the first one and obviously the 97 version, are famous for kind of the political dealings that took place in the locker room, really nothing to do with the shows themselves in front of the camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely I, fair. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously, 97, we all know, was, you know, the, the Montreal screw job. And then, as we're about to get into here, the Survivor Series, the event itself. Yes, there was a need for a second pay-per-view on the WWE calendar at that time uh, in late 87. But the reason that this show was created and took place when it did was clearly to fuck with Jim Crockett promotions. <laughs> no doubt about it. So Jim Crockett Sr. had been a, a promoter for many, many years. And it was his son, Jim Crockett Jr., that really got into the uh, hot water with Vince McMahon back and forth and the rivalry that developed in the 80s. And all this came about because of Ted Turner's TBS Superstation. So in the early days of cable, you didn't really have many options as far as what to watch. There were very few national networks. I mean, Kyle would remember this better than I would. But the, the Superstation, TBS, their roots went back to the uh, mid-1970s, I believe. And Ted Turner had always been a wrestling fan. He had wrestling on his network going back to the mid-70s. Some of the people involved would have included the Crockett's, who I mentioned, and then a guy named Jim Barnett. And I'm sure, Kyle, you know a lot about Jim Barnett. Um, uh, maybe you know more about him than I do. <laughs> Jim Barnett. I don't want to know Jim Barnett too well, I'll tell you that much. Ooh, yeah. wee. <laughs> well, Crockett and uh, Barnett. Tommy Rich knows him a lot better than I do. Oh, I, yeah. I, I heard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Crockett and Barnett, they both um, operated under the NWA banner. Right. And they swapped talent back and forth, just like all the NWA promoters did at the time. So this was right before Vince went national and started, um, you know, going around buying up territories or, or buying their television, buying their superstars. And uh, there's a very famous story in uh, pro wrestling. It goes back to like 1984 when Vince McMahon famously bought uh, Jim Barnett's Georgia Championship Wrestling. So, Kyle, are you old enough to remember Georgia Championship Wrestling at all? No, this was before. So, like, like I said, I didn't start watching wrestling until 86. So I had no, like, this is something that I have only read about after the fact. I obviously know tons about it now. I've done a ton of reading and have, like, seen clips and everything um, with Black Saturday. But no, this was not something that I experienced at the time. Yeah. My dad often talks about watching Georgia Championship Wrestling and uh, one of his favorite programs. That's where he first saw Ric Flair. Uh, but it was a it was a show produced by Jim Barnett. It was the first nationally syndicated pro wrestling show. It was on, uh, like I said, Turner's TBS Superstation in the mid seventies. Moving forward, it was on Saturday nights in prime time. So it was, this was huge visibility for pro wrestling. They actually changed the name of the show to World Championship Wrestling, which we later you know knew as WCW. But that was just the name of the show in uh, nineteen eighty one. But Georgia Championship Wrestling was the promotion behind world championship wrestling the television show 
And Georgia Championship Wrestling was the highest rated show on cable in the early 80s. Tons of people watched this show, not just in the South, but all over the country. But behind the scenes, the money just was not being managed well whatsoever, nor was the company. So Ole Anderson comes into the picture now. Ole Anderson was the head booker, he's part owner of Georgia Championship Wrestling. And uh, he was booking his stars in other NWA territories across the country because they were getting all this television time on TBS. So people knew him. They could go out to the country. And uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling started to suffer financially a lot due to the mismanagement. And in the middle of 1984, so as I was just a young baby at the time, <laughs> Kyle, a little bit older than me, he's about four years old. Vince McMahon steps into the picture, and he purchased the organization. And right away, Vince closed Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he used its World Championship Wrestling time slot on TBS Superstation to air WWF programming. And this is that Black Saturday we mentioned, because when fans of Georgia Championship Wrestling tuned in on July 14th, 84, to get their weekly fix of World Championship Wrestling from Georgia, they found a young Vince McMahon with his hair slicked back welcoming viewers to a new era for World Championship Wrestling. This show would now feature WWF performers, and these fans were pissed, outraged. Letters started flooding TBS, wondering where their old show went. And, uh, you know, they're used to watching the more athletic Georgia matches, and now they're getting squash matches, kind of what the WWF featured on television and this at is the time. What... Oh, I'm sorry, I want to no, jump go ahead. Yeah. We talked about... You know, before, I think we had referenced this many times uh, on the weekly show. I don't know, can't remember what the context of why we were talking about it, but I know we have talked about it. That you know, when WCW eventually closes up shop in two thousand one, there is a subset of fans that just stop watching wrestling, and you know, people I think now may be confused about this or shocked to learn about this, but there were definitely people who preferred one brand to the other back in these days. And, you know, these, the people who, um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of same people who stopped watching wrestling in 2001 were the same people who were really pissed off when Vince McMahon showed up on their TV screen in 1984. Yeah. That's been the struggle in recent years for WWE is not being able to get those people to come back into the fold. Uh, the network's been something they've used to try to get the, the lapsed fans back into the product, maybe get them in for nostalgia reasons. But yeah, a lot of them just tuned out when WCW closed down and they've never been able to get them back. And like you said, yeah, it was kind of the same thing when, uh, when this happened. So after a TBS had been getting all these complaints from viewers for weeks that they wanted their old show back after Black Saturday when McMahon took over the time slot, Ted Turner went back to Ole Anderson and he gave him a time slot on Saturday mornings for a new promotion called Championship Wrestling from Georgia. Uh, so Ole's back into the picture now. And soon after that, Turner gave another company a time slot on Sunday nights. And this was Bill Watts' Mid-South Wrestling. Both of these shows, it's worth noting, destroyed Vince's WWF television ratings on TBS. It should also be pointed out that Mid-South, at this juncture... Was had, had the best TV in the business on a weekly basis. It's oh, not yeah. close. No I mean, they, they were just destroying everybody in, in terms of episodic television. It's incredible. They have such limited stuff up on the network. It really does the promotion no justice. Um, but there's a ton of stuff out there on, on YouTube. You can find it. Um, the Mid-South in this period was just incredible. 
as there's three now there's three promotions on TBS, including Vince McMahon's WWF. And when this happens and Vince is finishing in uh, third place, if you know anything about Vince McMahon, he hates to get beat. He can't admit defeat. And he was absolutely pissed that he was third place out of three promotions on TBS. Another reason he was angry was he thought that when he bought Georgia Championship Wrestling, that gave him exclusive rights to pro wrestling on TBS. And uh, when Ted Turner went out and he brought in Ole and he brought in Bill Watts, uh, that kind of ruined any possible uh, working relationship between Ted Turner and Vince McMahon moving forward. So this is kind of the genesis behind what becomes the Monday, Monday Night Wars in 1995. Because Turner and McMahon, their their friendship there, whatever relationship they might have had, was kind of destroyed by what happened after Black Saturday here. I think Vince took this a lot harder. I mean, it's always been said. I think Vince McMahon spent a lot more time thinking about Ted Turner than vice versa. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you no, know, I, I think like this clearly like burned Vince. You know, probably burns his ass to this day that this ever happened. But you know, Ted Turner, I'm sure that the you know. The list of things he thinks about in a given day, this is probably not very high. <laughs> That's for sure. Jim Crockett now, so he wanted to get his promotion on TBS, um, and Ted Turner wasn't happy with Vince McMahon um, either. So McMahon's original agreement with TBS uh, called for WWF to film first-run programming in, in Atlanta to air in the Saturday night primetime time slot where Georgia Championship Wrestling previously was airing. However, Vince was airing pre-taped material with Turner while Turner was pressuring him also to film his product in Atlanta, like WCW did years later, to, uh, to make good on the contract. So with um, Turner now almost ready to kick WWF off of TBS, McMahon sold his time slot, that Saturday night time slot, to Jim Crockett for $1 million. That was actually more than he had actually paid for Georgia Championship Wrestling previously. Um, so Vince has often said that he actually made a few bucks off of this deal, buying Georgia Championship Wrestling, turning around, and selling the time slot for actually more money he profited. Crockett says that in buying the time slot from Vince, he basically financed the first WrestleMania because Vince used that money to put it into uh, 1985's WrestleMania One. So that brings Jim Crockett into the fold. And the Jim Crockett storyline is what's going to lead into the creation of the Survivor Series in 1987. Because this is when Crockett promotion started putting on excellent television. Um, we'll have the creation of the Four Horsemen here around this time period. And uh, they've really become the rival to Vince McMahon in the mid-80s. Yeah, I would say from 1985 and 1986... It was really neck and neck. It was a legitimate competition. As we the calendar turns to 1987, and we're going to get into, you know, which is the year that the first Survivor Series happens, there were a lot of self-inflicted wounds on the Crockett side um, that began to hurt. Dusty Rhodes had run out of good ideas as Booker. Um, they really needed to turn Ric Flair babyface. Um, Ron Garvin as world champion was not a great idea at least going into this major show, uh, their first pay-per-view that they wanted to do. So there was a lot of self-inflicted wounds. And while it was really competitive, it turned pretty one-sided pretty quick. And WrestleMania three was really the catalyst for that, I think. I, you know, Michael Hayes, you know, take it for what you will. You know, he's a good company man now. But he says a lot on, you know, those roundtables they used to do. 
you know, everybody across the industry when they saw WrestleMania three, if you were in a different territory, was basically like, oh, shit, we're in trouble. (laughs) Yeah. And he and he was right. So, yeah, um, it it was very competitive in 85 and 86. Uh, The industry was very healthy. Um, You know, when Vince started his national expansion, a lot of different territories doing well across the country, not just Crockett, not just WWE, but I mean, like the AWA did good business still in 84, even after they lost Hogan. Um, you know, world class was still doing pretty good in 1984, but, um, when 87 rolled around Crockett definitely needed to do something. And that was get on pay-per-view as well, which only Vince had done at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too, is that during this period, we always talk about Vince and the national expansion, but he was not the only promoter that had his eyes towards a, a national expansion. He was just the guy who went out and made it happen. And he was, um, easily the most aggressive in doing so because and that's for time slots was yeah. time was unheard of everyone else was like what the heck is this guy doing <laughs> yeah uh crockett for sure wanted to wanted to go national and that's why he bought that time slot from mcmahon that saturday night time slot his his goal was taking jim crockett promotions national and like you mentioned the awa they were doing some national television with uh espn if i'm not mistaken yeah as was world class world yeah. class at the espn time slot as well yeah, so so this was something that many promoters were trying to do. Um, the the other two shows that were on TBS at the time that we had mentioned, Bill Watts, uh, he eventually stepped aside. He ended his show on TBS and kind of deferred or put over the new Crockett uh, Saturday Night TBS show. And uh, then Jim Crockett bought out Ole Anderson's Saturday Morning product, and we were left with uh, yeah the new Jim Crockett Promotions now, kind of holding the monopoly on the TBS pro wrestling uh, product. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. 
Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. What we saw, like Kyle mentioned there, going from 85 to 87 was this huge WWF national expansion, uh, pay-per-view for the first time. We had WrestleManias 1 through 3, with 3 obviously occurring in 87. And this is where Survivor Series comes into the picture. Um, so for years now, Starcade had been kind of like the signature event um, in the South. That went back to 83, right, Kyle? Yep, 83. 83. And uh, it was like, uh, was it always on Thanksgiving? Yes, it was. Yeah. Thanksgiving was always considered a very big night in wrestling in the 1980s. I mean, yeah, Thanksgiving was always a big night. If you remember, like, World Class always ran their huge shows on Thanksgiving night, too. I mean, the, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, was it the same? Yeah, it would have been the same night as the first Starcade. World Class ran a huge show. Uh, Carrie Von Eric, Michael Hayes, Loser Leaves Town. So, I mean, Thanksgiving was always a big night. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Crockett capitalized on that. And the first uh, four Starcades all did really big business. Um, you know, always held, you know, originally in Greensboro, um, which was chosen because earlier in 83, you had the great um, Steamboat Youngblood versus Slaughter Cronodal tag team match, uh, which drew the turnaway crowd. Um, there's a great uh, series of clips on YouTube if anyone wants to check that out. The Road to Greensboro. I highly recommend watching it. Um, and then, uh, you know, they went, they did Atlanta in Greensboro. They started running the, they started simulcasting in 85 and 86, which I always think is the reason that they, Vince went three locations for WrestleMania 2, um, just to try to one-up that. Oh, yeah. But, no, uh, doubt. no doubt. Yeah, but it was always on Thanksgiving. And, uh, <laughs> well... <laughs> Needless to say, after 1987, it was not on Thanksgiving any longer. (laughs) So that brings us to the Survivor Series and uh, Vince kind of carrying forward all of the positive momentum he had coming off of WrestleMania 3, decides to book the first edition of the Survivor Series on the same day as Crockett's Starcade 87. And the drama unfolds because Vince, who now has a pay-per-view hit with the WWF, told cable operators... If they carried Starcade, those cable companies would be blacklisted from access to WrestleMania four uh, four months later. <laughs> Which is incredible that someone could say something like that. We we should point out a couple things with that. If people are young and can't conceive, like wait, why can't there be two pay per views on the same day? There was basically only one pay per view channel back in 1987, so you couldn't have two pay per view events going on at the same time. Yeah. It just it just couldn't happen that way. So people and and this was to be, of course, Crockett's first pay per view because some of those self inflicted wounds I'd referenced earlier and you know good old money mismanagement had really drained the company and they needed a huge financial injection. Uh, so you know the logical step was pay per view, but Vince was not allowed. As we're about to get into, was not about to let that happen. Yeah. So, huge leverage play by Vince McMahon. Pretty ballsy move. And uh, yeah. it worked. It worked out for him. Um, yeah. And go ahead. What's amazing is the few companies who actually agreed to still air uh, Starcade mm-hmm. uh, were still allowed to air WrestleMania 4. <laughs> so, it was, it was like four. There was four of them in the South and one of them in San Jose, which is interesting because that was like Dave Meltzer's cable company. And he always likes to tell the story. Um, so, 
Um, yeah, but but they were still allowed to air WrestleMania four. So Vince was basically just bluffing, but he got enough people to buy it. Uh, by his uh, strong arm tactics there. Yeah. So it worked for him. So this period from November eighty seven into March of eighty eight changed the course of wrestling history. No doubt. If you if you want to look at anything that happened in the eighties outside of the creation of WrestleMania, this four month period is probably the most interesting period in the eighties, in my opinion, because you had this drama between Starcade and the Survivor Series. Um, and then <laughs> two months later, you had the creation of the Royal Rumble. Yes. Which Vince aired for free on the USA Network head to head with Jim Crockett's Bunkhouse Stampede pay per view. And then Crockett flipped that around in March, airing the first Clash of the Champions show on TBS for free, which featured the uh, time limit draw between Sting and Ric Flair, where Sting was kind of made a superstar going for free up against Vince McMahon's WrestleMania 4 pay-per-view. So, and then the cable companies told him to knock that off. Yeah. Although, no, actually, that was the next year because uh, Crockett actually ran WrestleMania, or uh, pardon me, Clash of Champions 6, which is the f- famous Flair Steamboat match in New Orleans that was horribly promoted, against WrestleMania 5. And then the cable companies were like, all right, you two are going to stop this immediately. Yeah. So this is a good uh, kind of preview of what's to come in the 90s. And this kind of set the stage for this, um, yeah, this blood war that the two companies had going into 2001. So that kind of brings us to the first Survivor Series now in 87, where we're going to start looking at the events themselves, how those unfolded, the matches, the characters involved. So that's it, guys. That is the origin story of the WWF Survivor Series. Like I said at the top of the podcast, if you want to check out that entire show where we then go into the 87, 88, and 89 WWF Survivor Series events, make sure to check it out in the archives. It's episode 13 from November of 2016. Next week on the podcast, we're actually going to be reviewing Survivor Series 1990. This is for our Patreon-exclusive podcast. You can head on over to patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation to become a supporter of the show and gain access to all of those bonus shows that we do, as well as all kinds of other great bonus material, benefits, and even free merchandise. Check it out, patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. Hope you'll join us this Sunday night over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Top Rope Nation, when we review this Sunday's 2020 edition of the WWE Survivor Series. We'll see you then. Have a great week. Have a great week.